Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the growing youth nicotine epidemic in Minnesota, a recap of the over-too-soon Viking season, and a commentary on student mental health. But first, the 2019 state legislative session is about to begin, and there are several significant changes this session, not the least of which is a new incoming governor. Carleton College political science professor Stephen Shear gives us the rundown of what to watch for at the state capitol in 2019. Well, the major change in the legislature is that the Democrats in 2018 gained 18 state house seats and now have a majority in the state house. While Republicans keep a one-seat majority in the state Senate, we are the only divided legislature among the 50 states in America, which makes our politics pretty interesting. (laughs) And, you know, politics have been pretty interesting locally here. Obviously, uh, Governor Dayton, over the course of his uh, two administrations, has has gone head-to-head with Republican uh, leadership here in the state legislature. What kind of an uphill battle do you think that incoming Governor Tim Walz faces? Well, Tim Walz uh, faces uh, two challenges, I think. First of all, a lot of new Democratic members of the state house are from uh, more conservative suburban districts, and he's got to find a way to bring them along with his agenda. And then second of all, of course, the uh, Senate is controlled by the Republicans, although by one vote, and he needs to pick off at least one Republican on his major initiatives in order to get them to his desk for his signature. And in terms of those major initiatives, what is Governor Walls coming into the position saying he wants to do? What are his top priorities? Well, he's got a lot of priorities, so it's going to be very interesting to see uh, what he really highlights at the very top of his agenda. Will it be an increase in the gas? tax of 10 cents, a very controversial proposal, particularly with the Republican Senate. Uh, the medical providers tax of 2% is expiring, and that's a $700 million hole in state revenues. Will he uh, try and propose an increase in that? Will he propose legalizing marijuana? Will he propose increasing uh, education spending, and if so, how? Uh, there are a whole bunch of issues of this sort that uh, uh, we don't really know the agenda status of at this point. You mentioned a potential gas tax increase. That's obviously something that uh, had been a contentious issue for Governor Dayton and the state legislature. Uh, already, before this session has even begun, we had you know the state budget forecast came out a little while ago, and Republicans were saying, we're doing okay here in the state. This is not the time to call for a gas tax increase. It sounds, though, like... Uh, Governor Walls doesn't necessarily agree with that. No. No, Governor Walls believes that we have long-term spending requirements for roads, streets, and bridges that really do require an increase in the gas tax. And I think he'll be pressing that issue with the legislature. Now, it's important to keep in mind that uh, uh, his new incoming uh, transportation uh, commissioner uh, has said that this may be a four-year project. That is, you may not get this passed this year. And if that's the case, uh, he'll have to really emphasize other issues on his agenda in order to get legislative successes in 2019. 
Because of the contentious session last time, there were some unresolved issues. What do you see as some of the key unresolved issues from last session that lawmakers are likely to pick up this time? Well, everybody files their state and federal taxes, and one thing that did not occur in 2018 was passage of legislation that would align the uh, state uh, tax form with the new federal tax law. That complicates uh, completing your taxes, gives you different sets of rules uh, regarding the state and the federal, and it's something that I think uh, really does need to happen. The question is whether the two parties can agree to it. And speaking of the two parties agreeing, obviously health care a key issue here in Minnesota and nationally. Do you see the two sides coming to some sort of agreement on how to move forward with health care or any major changes occurring there? Well, uh, the major health care issue financially uh, in the short term is renewing that 2% provider's tax uh, because that's a $700 million annual revenue to the state budget. Will Republicans agree to that? Because it's expiring because Governor Dayton in 2010, in order to get the government reopened, had to agree to sunset the tax in 2019. So it is expiring, and it will take legislative action and the governor's signature to maintain it. Can that get through a Republican Senate? You mentioned Governor Dayton. Uh, Obviously, he is uh, ending his run as the governor of Minnesota after two terms. Any uh, particular thoughts about his legacy as governor of Minnesota? Well, I think his legacy was really set uh, when he had a Democratic legislature working with him, and there were a wide variety of uh, legislative initiatives that were successful. And he's had more trouble with the Republican legislature. Uh, It was not a very productive final two years of his governorship. And I think Governor-elect Waltz is hoping to find a way to build more constructive, long-term working relationships with both parties in the legislature in order to uh, have a more productive agenda. Very good information, Professor. And what would you tell our listeners to watch for in the upcoming legislative session? What's one thing? You you have to look at the State of the State Address coming up this month and see what issues uh, are really top priority for Tim Waltz because he has a big agenda, and the question is what he'll try and move on right away, and we have to watch for that. And watch for that we will. Thank you to my guest, Carleton College political science professor Stephen Shear. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Don't you wish that getting your child to eat right, move more, and spend less time in front of a screen could be as easy as pushing a button? It might not be that simple, but you do have more power than you know. And you can maximize that power with proven strategies, tips, and tools from the National Institutes of Health's We Can, or Ways to Enhance Children's Activity and Nutrition program. We Can offers all kinds of resources, including fun recipes and activities the family can do together to show you the way to live a healthier lifestyle. We're not saying it's easy. We are saying that it can be done. Take the first step today. Call 1-866-359-3226 for a free We Can Parents Handbook. And be sure to visit the We Can website at wecan.nhlbi.nih.gov for free information, too. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. 
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. As communities nationwide face a growing youth nicotine addiction epidemic, the group Minnesotans for a Smoke-Free Generation is preparing for the 2019 legislative session with plans to advocate for life-saving tobacco prevention and cessation bills. MNN's Tasha Radel has more. Thanks, Scott. Joining me now is Laura Smith with Clearway, Minnesota. Laura, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about Minnesotans for a Smoke-Free Generation? Minnesotans for a Smoke-Free Generation is a coalition of more than 60 organizations, and we're really focused on two goals, reducing the harm of of tobacco-related death and disease for good and reducing youth smoking. So those are two goals that we're really focused on, and we all work together toward those goals, and we're really looking forward to making progress this session. And, you know, before we get into kind of the nuts and bolts of the session goals, uh, can you tell us a little bit about youth tobacco use uh, here in Minnesota? I understand that it's up for the first time in a generation. We're seeing some really alarming uh, disruptions in the work we're doing to reduce, reduce youth tobacco use. Um, again, for the first time in a generation, in 2017, we measured an increase in youth tobacco use, which is really concerning. Um, and it mirrors a trend we're seeing nationwide. Um, here in Minnesota, for the first time, youth cigarette smoking was below 10%, which is great, and it's a huge public health achievement. But we're also seeing that work is being disrupted by some of these high nicotine e-cigarette products that are really popular among youth. So we saw a nearly 50% increase from 2014 to 2017 in high school uh, e-cigarette use here in Minnesota. And that, that, again, mirrors the national trends we're seeing where there's really tremendous increases around 87 or some of the national studies have shown almost a doubling of youth e-cigarette use. And that's caused some alarms not only here in Minnesota but across the nation. And when we look at e-cigarettes, I know uh, that the marketing companies are really, I guess, kind of making these kid-friendly favors. Is that right? That's right. There's a, a ton of flavors, thousands and thousands of flavors that appeal to youth. Um, anything from unicorn drops, which uh, taste and smell like Skittles, to um, very popular Juul, uh, mango, and cool mint flavors. So these are really concerning, and that's another thing that we're really focused on as a coalition is uh, preventing these uh, flavored tobacco products from being sold in places where where youth frequent. And, and, you know, if there's a parent listening, uh, these devices can look like other devices. Can you explain that? Sure. These, one of the the most insidious and kind of tricky things about the really popular e-cigarette products these days is they, they don't look like your traditional cigarette. They, instead, they look like things like a USB drive, the Juul device, which is tremendously popular, very popular among youth. It looks like a, a flash drive that you would use to store you know, documents on. It's pretty slim and easy to hide. Um, the Sorin device is, looks like a teardrop. It looks almost like an Apple, an Apple product, um, like a, kind of like a little iPod or device like that. So these um, devices are really sneaky, and some of them uh, even advertise as being easy to hide. And, and it's something really concerning because we're seeing um, evidence of youth using these products in school, in class, um, at home where their parents don't even notice. So I think that's one of the first things parents can do is is learn about these products and, and learn the signs that their youth are using them. And you talked a little bit about marketing, and I think uh, in Minnesota uh, they spent, uh, the tobacco industry sp- spent more than $100 million. Is that right? 
That's right. Last year, it's estimated that the tobacco industry spent more than $100 million marketing. That's to keep uh, current users addicted and also attract new users like kids. Um, And notably, that that number doesn't even include um, e-cigarette advertising. The e-cigarette companies are not um, as required to report that data. And what we are seeing is that in that latest Minnesota Youth Tobacco Survey is that nearly all students, 88% of high school and middle school students, reported they had seen advertising promoting e-cigarettes. So when we talk about how we can prevent youth from using these products, um, we know that they're heavily, heavily targeted by um, e-cigarette companies, and not only in terms of flavors, but in terms of advertising. And Laura, before we run out of time, uh, kind of switching gears back to the 2019 session, can you tell us a little bit about what's going to be happening this year? Sure. We're we're working really hard to prepare for a productive session. Um, Obviously, we are amid this youth nicotine epidemic here in the nation and here in Minnesota, so we're really hoping that can help us uh, leverage some common sense policies that really make a difference for health, um, not only for our kids, but for all Minnesotans. So that starts with uh, keeping our indoor air clean. Um, Currently, our Clean Indoor Air Act, which has been tremendously popular, um, it does not cover the use of e-cigarettes where smoking is prohibited statewide. So we have some local policies, but we're really hoping we can get a statewide law passed. That will not only give uh, Minnesotans the clean air they deserve and expect, but also make sure that we're setting a good example and ensuring that youth aren't seeing um, e-cigarettes being used when they're out in public. So the second thing we're we're working on is quit tobacco funding. Uh, Quit Plan Services is the state's current uh, quit smoking helpline, and um, that is run by Clearway Minnesota, which will end and sunset as part of our mission, our 25-year limited life organization. So uh, we really need legislators to buckle down and and we're ready to pass that baton onto the state so that we don't become the only state in the nation without quit smoking help for people who need it. Um, Finally, we're working on Tobacco 21. So we have 21 uh, communities, either uh, cities or counties in Minnesota, who have passed Tobacco 21, which raises the the uh, sale age from 18 to 21. So we know that that would make a profound effect on health. So we're hoping that we can adopt that statewide and make a real difference in preventing youth tobacco addiction. Thanks again to my guest, Laura Smith with Clearway, Minnesota. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Minnesota Vikings season came to an earlier end than many anticipated with last weekend's loss at home to Chicago, and the Vikes missed the NFL postseason. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm sat down with Paul Allen, the radio voice of the Vikings, to get his reaction to the 2018 Vikings season. Well, PA, before we recap and break down the X's and O's of it, as the guy who has an identity with the team, how are you handling, and, and I run into this too, uh, you know, when you want those guys to win. How, how, when, when you have a buzzkill finish like that, how, does, how do you handle that personally? Uh, well, I was very disappointed Sunday evening. Uh, it was very difficult to sleep because I was confused. Um, you're right, I do care about it. I'm certainly not going to say more than I should because I, I work with these people six, seven days a week, mm-hmm. you know, and I want to see them succeed. And I'm very close with head coach Mike Zimmer. And, you know, I, I like I like things to work out well for them. Um, but I was 
I, I don't know if sadness is the right way to put it or anger. I was very confused Sunday night with a lot of things that transpired, not only in the season ender to the Bears, but the way the, the entire 8-7-1 worked. Um, and then I was more confused Monday, talked it out a little bit on the radio show, over eight on New Year's Day, and uh, then came in and did the Wednesday radio show. And, and personally speaking, um, I'm, you know, for, for, for what it's worth, I'm improving day by day. <laughs> um, what do you think did happen? I mean, each season takes on a life of its own. There's no doubt schedule, personnel, different things. Um, but coming off 13-3, and three, you know, a game away from potentially a Super Bowl, and then to finish, as you mentioned, 8-7, and seven, have you been able to put your finger on a thing or two? As yeah, well? it, um, it, it failed to complement each other. Um, and and you know this from from working with football, Golden Gophers football, um, and I'm certainly not disrespecting Mr. Patino's team because if we had Rick, you know Rick in here and we talked about the complementary team aspect of basketball, then then we could go on for two hours. Yeah, there there are team aspects to basketball, but in football, man, you need A to get to B to get to C to get to D. So many things have to work for just one play to work, and offense, defense, and special teams failed to complement each other the entire season. Uh, The defense left a lot to be desired early in the season. Then it got better. Then the offense got wobbly. Then the offensive coordinator got fired. Uh, we the rookie kicker got booted off the team week two. New guy comes in with historically good stats. He's missing kicks. Then he gets really good. Uh, we haven't had a, a kick or a punt return touchdown in more than two years. Marcus almost gets loose on one against Miami for seventy yards. But but you know he had a bunch of plus twenties this year, but really only one legitimate chance to get to the end zone. Um, so it just it failed to complement each other the way it needs to enough and that played into the 8-7-1. And then from a standpoint of moving forward, what do you think here in the offseason? Obviously down the road you'll get to training camp, you get the OTAs and all of that. The draft is coming up. Uh, areas to address there and then free agency, what do you think? Uh, Michael, I think this is the general manager Rick Spielman's most difficult offseason he's had in not only all of his years as our GM, but all the time he's been here, which is well over a decade. And I think it's the most difficult simply because um, of the the lack of free agency money at this point under the salary cap they have to spend. Uh, some veterans and very popular names that either need to be restructured, and those are difficult conversations, or they won't be with the team next year. Uh, the situation with Anthony Barr, formerly a first-round pick, his contract's up. Moving forward, um, I can argue Trey Waynes was the best corner on the team this year. He's heading into the final year of his deal. And, um, you know, there, there. it also can be argued that of the the final tally of guys on the offensive line who are on the active roster, you may need five new ones, including two new starters. So it's not a one-year fix. It's not super far lost like, like some bad teams in the NFL, uh, but there are things that need to be repaired, and uh, the GM absolutely has a lot of work to do. And it's not a hopeless situation. As you know, the margin of error in the NFL might be four plays in a game from winning and losing, and that magnifies itself. Yeah. Um, this team... If, if, if a couple things fall its way, next year could be right back in the postseason. I mean, this isn't like a doomsday well, deal, be. right? Yeah, I, I think uh, with all due respect, I think they were humiliated in both losses to the Bears. Um, though that's the only way to put it. Um, they got beaten up 
and they got beaten up at their house on New Year's Eve. Uh, the Bears came in and were markedly – there is a legitimate target at which to shoot in this division. And if you do not construct certain facets of your team to find a way to beat the Chicago Bears, you will be in arrears for years to come. Uh, the Bears are young. Uh, the Bears are vibrant. They're tough. And, um, and they're going to be good for years. 30 seconds. Where do the Packers go coaching-wise? What, what is your feeling there? Excellent question. Uh, I still think they need a lot of work defensively. Um, it um, it takes a certain kind of person to work with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, so I'll be curious to see what they do from a head coaching standpoint. Uh, but they, you know, like us and uh, like the Lions, uh, we, we are now shooting at the Bears, who will be prohibitively favored to win the division into next year. That's Vikings radio announcer Paul Allen with MN Sports Director Mike Grimm. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Who might you save? Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, and son. Learn fast, F-A-S-T, the sudden signs of a stroke, and you could save your friend, your best friend, teacher, boss, coach. F, face drooping, A, arm weakness, S, speech difficulty, T, time to call 911, F-A-S-T, face, arm, speech, time. That's F, face drooping, A, arm weakness, S, speech difficulty, T, time to call 911. The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of... Your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger, grandmother, grandfather. So learn F-A-S-T, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on, because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague, teammate, mother... Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. University of Minnesota students are on holiday break getting ready for spring semester with classes resuming at Crookston on Monday and in Duluth, Morris, Rochester and the Twin Cities later in the month. As students prepare to hit the books again, U of M leaders continue grappling with one of the biggest problems on American college campuses today, student mental health. The issue came up as the Board of Regents interviewed Joan Gable, who will take over as University of Minnesota president when Eric Kaler steps down this summer. I have a question that's really been weighing on me, and it's about student mental health. Yes. And it's something that, um, you know, we talk about. We don't really, I don't think, understand what it is in today's world that has made this such a, a, a phenomenon that the most uh, popular course, I think, at either Harvard or Yale is called happiness. And I'm just wondering if you have any insights on that, because there's something in this world today that's very troubling to many of our students, and it would be really important to get your insight on that. Yes, the, the statistics are virtually overwhelming in how many of our students uh, are suffering with mental health challenges. It is not only, uh, not only does it make you heartsick on their behalf, and, and but it also requires um, real thought and purpose behind the resources that you make available for students and um, that is in some ways relatively obvious in terms of counseling support and access to uh, uh, clinical care but also in 
the awareness and sensitivity of the faculty and staff so that they can be allies to students when they are themselves not clinicians and not subject matter experts in how to provide support to a student who's experiencing a mental health challenge. I had a bit of a humbling moment when I was meeting with the students um, in the Twin Cities when one of our medical students said to me, well, that's all fine, you know, we're treating it like a, a a crisis, which it is, but what about the prevention beforehand so that by the time they're taking the class, it's just because they want to think about happiness and not because they're desperately trying to find it in a way that is, um, that is escaping them at that time. And, you know, you pick your head up and you think, wow, you know, that's a little humbling and also amazing, right? That you would think of it that way because we've been thinking of it in a crisis mindset. If it's happening right in front of you, you treat it. In, in real time, and I'm obviously not a clinician, but I'm in the company of them on a regular basis and I see what they're doing and it's, it's helpful. But we need to be a better part of getting at the prevention and I don't know what that is yet and there are great minds around the table trying to figure that out. But it is part of, we should be part of that conversation so that at this campus we could be a thought leader on driving that statistic down, meaning ensuring more and more health body and mind for our students. MNN's Bill Werner has some thoughts on this same topic. A recent study of students at the University of Minnesota contains a statistic that is astounding to someone perhaps as naive as I. Over 30% of those enrolled at that institution's campuses across the state of Minnesota report that they have had a mental health diagnosis in their lifetime. Nearly one-third. There they are, our future. Their futures as yet unrealized. Sitting in the study carols in the library or on benches along the mall doing term papers on their iPads. Or in the coffee shops and bars trying to make sense of it all. And one in three of them who, in addition to the academic load they're carrying, bear this burden also. Mental health is a growing public health issue on campus, and we usually consider it as the primary or the number one public health issue that we're currently dealing with. Dr. Gary Christensen, chief medical officer at the university's Boynton Health Service, tempers his diagnosis by noting the 30% figure might be due to more awareness of mental health issues and hopefully less stigma, with students more willing to seek help rather than continuing to suffer in silence. This is a good thing, of course. But that aside, still, one out of every three walking to class on a September morn at the start of the term. How have we come to this point? There were opportunities at that one golden moment, now decades past, when an America preeminent in the world grudgingly permitted its children time to trip down the streets of the city, time to smell the daisies, the flower of preference in those crazy years, to get back to the garden. For once, to view the landscape from the flight deck of a Boeing 707, to try to chart a course for change, not only in society, but in their souls. Hard realities of the world economy have again made it difficult for our part of the planet to be forgiving, to allow at least a little latitude so that young minds have a chance to try to gain a grasp before the world picks them up and takes them on its way. No wonder students are struggling in their minds. Then can I walk beside you? I have come here to
Perhaps. Amid all the fierce competition and the striving for position and things. Perhaps we can somehow see our way clear to give our children the time to clear their minds. Bill Werner on the Minnesota News Network. Thank you, Bill. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.